This is day 189 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Matthew chapters 11 through 15. Lord Jesus, we are excited to meet you in your word this morning. We look forward to seeing the wisdom and the beauty that you displayed when you were on the earth. And ultimately, Lord, we understand that you came to be the ultimate sacrifice for us, but also you came to be the ultimate role model. You showed us how to live our lives as believers, as Christians, little Christs. Lord, you have shown us everything that we need to know. And Lord, we just need to be receptive to your word. We need to study you. We need to examine your word because it's all there for us. Lord, help us to see that as we go through today, that this is the very essence of our lives moving forward. That we need to take this seriously, that we need to examine it, that we need to apply it to our own lives. Please bless the reading of this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? Is it like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you? and you did not dance? We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn? For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities, in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, or for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And there was a man there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, 
I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowd was amazed, and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For if by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment, and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. 
because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside, seeking to speak with him. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him, and said, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you, 
that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you were gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed... These are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them 
is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it has filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household, who brings out of his treasure things new and old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished, and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. But when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd, because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, 
Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oath and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and was given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down in the grass, He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all that surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. 
Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone, and they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the districts of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish and her daughter was healed at once. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, 
bringing with them those who are lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people, because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. It is so much of an honor to hear the word of our Lord Jesus, isn't it? I just am loving reading this. It's a longer reading, but it is so worth it. And yet I know I cannot do it justice in commentary. So I'm going to do my best to talk about just a few things, but the rest of it you need to read on your own. This is definitely something to spend time in prayer and meditation on, because there's so much here that I can't possibly explain everything. And I'm not going to keep saying this every episode. I think you've gotten the point by now. In chapter 11, we start off with something very interesting, and I don't know why it came to this point, but this is what I'm thinking. It mentions here in verse 2 that John, he looks like he was in prison at this time. He heard of what Jesus was doing, and he sent word to his disciples asking him, Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? What? This is the same John that baptized him and saw the Holy Spirit fall upon him, and the heavens opened, and the Father said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. What more do you need? Why did he doubt that Jesus all of a sudden was not the Messiah? I think the root problem is, just like everybody else, they missed the point of why Jesus came. I think John was guilty, just as everybody else, of expecting a different kind of Messiah. They were expecting a political Messiah. They were expecting a knight in shining armor, riding in on a white horse with a large army behind him, coming to conquer the Roman Empire and free Israel and sit on the throne of David. I think that's what they wanted, and that's what they were expecting from a Messiah. But then they get Jesus, who is even better than that, but they don't understand it. Because he's humble, he comes from obscurity, he doesn't appear to be stately, and he doesn't have some sort of 
presence about him that just shows he's dignified and royalty. He comes in the most humble of ways. So it's so confusing to him. I don't understand. I thought you were the Messiah, but now I have my doubts. But what does Jesus tell him? You want to know if I'm the Messiah? Tell John that to look at what I've done. Look at what I have done and let that be evidence of who I am. Look at the miracles that I'm performing. I'm completely fulfilling direct prophecies here, giving sight to the blind, for example, which had not been done before. All of these miracles were to show that he was truly the Messiah. He, was, he didn't have to show all these signs and miracles, but he did. And because he did that, just like he talks about, you are known by your fruits, right? And so in his case, he shows how he has dominion over all of nature, over all health, over all situations. And it's easy for him. He is God. There is no other. And yet he needed a reminder. Even the great John the Baptist, which we see Jesus talk quite a bit about him in great detail, that he is the one they were looking for as the voice in the wilderness. But what's very interesting as well is that he says in verse 11 that among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Interesting. He is declaring that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that has ever lived. So even the great prophets of the Old Testament, you know, you think of Samuel, you think of Isaiah, you think of Elijah, those are all less than John the Baptist? Wow, that's quite the compliment from Jesus. And it also says here that John himself is Elijah who was to come, because that was mentioned also in prophecy that Elijah would come again. And that was in Malachi chapter 4. So that was an illustration of what John the Baptist was going to be. We've read that fairly recently, so that should be fairly fresh in our minds. So then what Jesus does is he starts comparing this generation to the generations of the past. And what this current generation is doing is pronouncing judgment against Jesus. They're rejecting not only him, but also John the Baptist's ministry. Even though their styles are completely opposite, they're still being rejected because they are from God. And those in their natural state will reject the things of God. I mean, look what they're doing. John did not eat or drink, and they say he had a demon. And then Jesus comes and he is eating and drinking, and they're saying, well, look, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What he has done and what they have come to do the spiritual truth of what they're doing is vindicating them. That's what he says here. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Wisdom is illustrating and demonstrating itself in the presence of these people, and by that, they are justified in what they're doing. Then Jesus goes a step further and condemns these cities that he has been performing miracles in. He's like, I have been performing amazing things in your presence. Imagine if I did that in ancient times to places like Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented. Even if I went and did this to Sodom, 
that's how you know how bad things are. Because like he says in verse 23 as well, is that you, Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. If Sodom has seen what you've seen, they would have repented. But you are refusing to repent. You are worse than Sodom. That's a big deal. And so you're not going to be spared if that's going to be the case. Repent, repent, repent. Do you see how this is the same God of the Old Testament? He is asking for the same things. He is showing how he has mastery over all the universe. But then he also offers repentance. He commands it. He wants us to repent. Because then we can see him clearly. Then we see in verse 28 that he performs an invitation that is the greatest call of all mankind. It is extended to all, and it is threefold. To come, receive salvation, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says to learn from him, which is what we would call discipleship. Come and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle. And what is the result of that? Then you will have rest for your souls. And then thirdly, what do we see? Serve in the yoke with the Lord. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. What is the yoke? This is instruction under discipline. Yet in contrast to what the scribes are trying to say, Jesus' yoke is easy. Compared to what the Pharisees were having them do, the law was hard, but Jesus' yoke was easy. So through the ages, these verses have been among the most beloved of the New Testament for this very reason, because we could not live in the law. We would always violate the law. But that's why God gave us grace, he gave us mercy, and he abolished the law for us. So in these couple of verses here, we see the threefold truth of what God wants from us. He wants us to come to him, to learn from him, and to go and do something with it. Then we come to chapter 12, and this one is where he is challenged by the Pharisees for breaking the Sabbath. And what Jesus is showing them is that they are violating their own law through tradition. And that's something that he goes into much more detail later. And we'll definitely get to that part soon. So they're mad because as they were walking through a field, they were hungry. So they picked some of the grains and ate them. Well, in the law, that would be called harvesting. That is an act of manual labor. Therefore, you are working on the Sabbath. And because you're working on the Sabbath, you're guilty. And that's what they were trying to get them for. But he's like, no, have, you don't get it. Have you not read? And I like how he does that. Have you not read? You are Pharisees. You're scribes. You know the law back and forth. You know all the books of the Bible, almost by memory. Don't you know the stories? Don't you understand why those stories are there? Remember the one about David. He went under the guise of deception, and he went to that priest and he was hungry, and he convinced him to give him the showbread, which you're not supposed to eat the showbread. He's not even a priest. But he gave it to him because out of compassion, he did not want him to starve to death. So he violated 
the tradition in order to fulfill the deeper spiritual truth of why that law is there. And he reminds him, this is the second time he says it, that if you had known what this means, in verse 7, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so he also shows them as well that they were wrong in their assessment. Because like it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, that it is lawful for persons to pick grain from another's field to satisfy hunger. But yet they're trying to use Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, that says not to do any regular work on the Sabbath. But that's what they were trying to hold them to. Not only that, but they violate their own law because the priests break the law and are at the temple, and yet they're innocent somehow? Do you see how this is contradictory? And you're picking and choosing how this is to be understood? There is only one way to understand this, and you are not getting it. So I am Lord of the Sabbath, and what I say goes when it comes to the Sabbath. I'm explaining to you this is what the Sabbath was for. Okay, so learn from this and move on. But they didn't move on, did they? They started accusing him. They see a man's hand withered, and Jesus has the compassion and the desire to heal him. And they're watching him saying, oh, he's going to heal him, right? He's going to perform work on the Sabbath. If he was really the Son of Man, if he was really God, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't violate his own law. But then he tells them this situation here. Which one of you here, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit, would you just leave it there because it's the Sabbath? No, of course not, right? You would have compassion on that animal, and you would take it out of that pit immediately. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? And yet you get all caught up in your traditions. So yeah, it is lawful for me to do good on the Sabbath. Stretch out your hand. Boom, it's fixed. And instead of praising God, they want to kill him for doing good things. But why? It's not because of what he was actually doing. It's because of what was going on inside of them. They were jealous of him. They were offended by him because they were he was challenging their authority. You dare tell me how to be a Pharisee? You dare tell me how the law is understood? I am a teacher of the law, excuse me. They don't realize they're talking to the Lord God they claim to serve. And yet, if they really loved their Lord, they would understand who this man was. And they missed it. To the very end, they missed it. Then we come to the only sin that cannot be forgiven. The sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Does this apply today? I don't know the answer to that. Because technically, according to the scribes, blasphemy involved direct and explicit abuse of the divine name. But Jesus is teaching that it may also be the reviling of God by attributing the Spirit's work to Satan, and that was the problem. They didn't say that what Jesus was doing was a good thing. They said that he was casting out demons because Satan was casting them out. Satan was commanding demons to cast out because he is over all a demon. That was the name Beelzebul that we see here. He calls him Satan. Beelzebul's another name for him. 
And Jesus is highly offended by this, because not only is he God, and you just made fun of him, but you blasphemed, saying every good thing that he was doing was of the devil. How does that make any sense? But then he's like, you know what? You can say all you want and blaspheme against me, and I can forgive you, but you do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That is unforgivable. So what my commentary wants to tell me, and that's why I take it for a grain of salt, is that because of these special circumstances of the way that the Pharisees are blaspheming the Holy Spirit, it cannot be duplicated, therefore the sin is not able to be done. I don't know. I have my doubts with that, because we can still blaspheme the Holy Spirit. There's still unsaved people who will do it. We as Christians won't, but those who are unsaved will potentially blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and I think they'll be guilty of that as well. You don't really hear about that one too much. You always hear about the name of Jesus being condemned, but never the Holy Spirit. So this one is more rare, and if we blaspheme Jesus, he says that he'll forgive. Doesn't mean we should use his name in vain, absolutely not, but the world is capable of being forgiven, even though they use his name so flippantly. Near the end of chapter 12, we see an interesting situation here. Beginning in verse 46, they show that his family went to visit him. We see mother and brothers. So he does have brothers. He even mentions them by name later on, right? And according to the Bible, it says that he has four other brothers and that he also has sisters. We don't know the sisters by name. But he does have more family. So there's that thought that, well, Jesus was the only child of Mary, and therefore, like the Catholics believe, that she is the immaculate conception, that she is eternally a virgin after that. No. She had other children after Jesus. He was the firstborn. But through Joseph, she had other children. At this point, though, once we see Jesus as an adult, we don't see Joseph anymore. So we can assume that he's dead, unfortunately. But before he died, he left many children as a legacy. And they are half-brothers and sisters of Jesus. So they come and they visit. He's like, who are my mother and brothers? It's not like he doesn't know. He's making a point here. And then he stretches out his hand towards his disciples, saying, these are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is my mother and my sister and my brother. So we, as a family of God, are what truly matters. And that's why he even says earlier on where he is trying to separate and cause division between father and son, mother and mother-in-law. Not that he's trying to do it in terms of trying to ruin relationships, but when you become a Christian, it alienates people, even within your own family. And that's hard, but it is necessary because we need to be separate. And sometimes it will not cause good things to happen in your own family. You may have to be alienated for the sake of Jesus Christ, and it'll still be worth it. So just know that's a possibility. In chapter 13, we have the parable of the sower. And what's very lovely about this one is that Jesus explains it in great detail, what it means. So I don't have to do it, and that's not why I'm happy about it, but it's good that he explains it so that we have kind of a background, a backdrop for the other ones that we see. 
like the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? The parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great value, the parable of the nets, the parable of the head of the house. And then when we have the wheat and the tares, he explains it again in great detail. I want to back up a little bit to the parable of the sower. I just want to talk about one point. The different kinds of wheat that we see. Are we able to be only one kind of wheat? I think that we can be more than one kind, personally. Because some get choked out by surrounding areas. Yeah. Some are worried about the world and the deceitfulness of wealth, and we let that choke us out. Some people are around bad company, and we get discouraged, and we choke out. But ultimately, I think that the majority of the people in any church are the ones that have shallow roots or are being choked out. Only a handful of true Christians are the ones that produce results. 100-fold, 50-fold, 30-fold, whatever. And that's the thing we have to understand as leaders as well, is that as Christians, we won't always have the same results. Just like I was talking with my kids yesterday, they were learning about a man named Billy Sunday from the late 1800s, you know, post-Civil War. And in his ministry, this is before the internet, this is before TV, before radio, through his preaching, he brought the Word of God to about 2 million people across the United States. And so many people got converted. And even whole communities changed in response to what Billy Sunday was doing. Here's the thing. I'm a teacher too, and I preach at my church, and I don't get results like that. Should I be jealous? Absolutely not, because God has specific plans for each of us. Some people are going to be a Billy Sunday. Some people are not. Some will produce huge results. Some are going to produce small results. Like it says here, some will have a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, so on and so forth. Don't let that discourage you. What God has given you, be responsible for it and be grateful for it. Sometimes it is discouraging when I have 300 men in my church, for example, and only four show up for a Bible study. That's very discouraging. That shows you where the problem is, that there's no men that invest in their spiritual life. And I can be upset about that. And why can't I have a thousand people in my Bible study? But that's not the right way to go about it. Because Jesus is also going to say this later, is when little is given, much is expected. And with if you're responsible in a little, more will be given. So if we are responsible with what we have, and we just need to do our best with what we're given. Should we always seek greater things? Yes. But it is all in God's timing and in his control. So we can't force this. Nor should we be upset because we're not Billy Graham or any of the other great preachers out there. Be happy with what little you have. And do well at it, and God will bless it. And one person, if you can convince one person to believe in Jesus Christ, you've accomplished something great. It is a priceless endeavor with a priceless result. You spared somebody's soul from damnation by your actions. The Lord used you to save someone. That is the most 
amazing thing. So even if it's just one person or a million people, it's all worth it because the human soul is priceless. You never get discouraged in that. In chapter 14, it explains how John the Baptist was killed. So he was in jail, and Herod was the leader, and he had a woman in his life named Herodias, who was actually the wife of his brother, and he wanted her. And that's why John the Baptist was saying, you can't have her. She belongs to another man. But he didn't care. He's the leader. He wants to do whatever he wants. But then the daughter of Herodias was dancing before them. And this is just some some sort of, you know, square dance or flamenco or something like this. This is a sultry, provocative, lewd dance. This is like, you know, something very erotic. And it pleased him and said, I'll give you whatever you want. And, the, and so she's like, let me ask my mom. And mom said, I want John the Baptist on a platter. And he didn't want to do it because he was afraid of the people around him. But he did it anyway so that he wouldn't look bad in front of his friends and that he would keep his promise. So he died. What a terrible way to go. But that's the way that he went. Now here's the ridiculous thing, and I'll end with this, is in chapter 14 we see the feeding of the 5,000. That's not ridiculous, but I'm getting to a point here. It is a miracle what Jesus did, and it is fantastic, isn't it? He used five loaves of bread and two little fish to feed 5,000 men. This isn't including women and children, so it might even be double, triple that. Thousands upon thousands of people being fed with just that little bit of food. God can multiply anything. He does not require anything natural or any physical resource to get his job done. He can create things out of nothing, just like he did here. And at the end, they were left with 12 baskets full. And then we see in chapter 15, the same thing happens again, not too long afterwards. And we see the same thing again. I feel compassion for the people. They need to eat something. And then they start doing the exact same song and dance from the last time. What are we going to do? We don't have that much food to satisfy all these people. And then it's almost like I can hear Jesus kind of sigh in verse 34. How many loaves do you have? And then seven and a few small fish. And then he does the exact same thing and feeds over 4,000 people this time, 4,000 men. You would think that the first time they learned the lesson but they, again, still did not have faith. And you're going to see that is the reoccurring theme with these disciples of his up until he is resurrected from the dead. They will not have proper faith. It requires something from God to have that proper faith, no matter how much you've seen and heard. For one, you must be fully convinced in your own mind, but it also needs to be given to you from God. That way you can have proper faith. And with that, let's go ahead and stop for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.